my friends and I always joke, we're like, where's that guy who's like, I'm gonna make you a star, kid, with the cigar and the suspenders, like, <laughs> right. you know, and when you From the show movies. up with your, yeah, like you show up with your press kit and he slams the door in your face and says like, you'll never make it in this town, kid. Like, that guy's gone, right? So that's great news because you are now that guy and you can choose yourself and you can say, I'm going to be successful because I have decided I'm going to be successful. Welcome to The In Factor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and our next guest is Las Vegas headliner, television host personality, and corporate event presenter, Jeff Cefilico. Comedy in Action, his highly acclaimed show at Paris, Las Vegas, is a three-time winner of the Best of Las Vegas Awards by the Las Vegas Review Journal and it has been named one of the top 10 things to do in Vegas by Total Vegas Guide. In addition, Jeff is also the founder and chairman of Win Win Entertainment, a nonprofit which connects professional entertainers and charities. I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, Jeff, I'm really excited to invite you to join us today on InFactor. Thank you for having me, Rebecca. I'm honored. Jeff, you've been a Las Vegas headliner for over 10 years now. You're described as a juggler, entertainer, comedian, philanthropist, and I think you even had your own show, Comedy in Action, for quite a while. And so tell us a little bit. I think a lot of it started with juggling. How did you get into juggling, and how can I become a master juggler? How does that work? <laughs> you sure can. Actually, I'm doing free live stream juggling workshops every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific throughout the quarantine period to keep people from going crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, maybe I'll see you next Tuesday. It's not just for kids. It's for parents. It's for kids. It's for families. Anybody can learn how to juggle. And the best part is there's a lot of personal and professional skills you can learn through the act of juggling and learning how to juggle. And they're very disguised as a lot of fun because juggling can teach you patience and discipline and focus, goal setting, breaking something down, a complex task into step-by-step systematic process, perspective, all of that. And you're having fun. You're throwing things up in the air. You're catching, you're jumping around. It's very active and interactive. So maybe, maybe we'll see you on a live stream juggling workshop. Yeah. 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 You'll have to make sure. Tell us how you got into juggling. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny because the longer I do this, when I look back, I realize that first as a little kid, it was all about the juggling right? It was, I wanted to, I practiced hours a day. I would do my homework really quickly and I would just juggle until my mom and dad made me go to bed, right? And I was learning tricks off of books from VHS tapes. This is pre-YouTube, pre-internet, pre-everything. And at the time it was a hobby. It was a fun hobby. It made me stand out. I was the youngest of three brothers, Gene, John, and Jeff. So I was kind of known as Jeff the juggler. And again, at school with friends and teachers, everybody kind of knew juggling was my thing. So it started off with juggling, I think, just as a way to get all the energy I had out. I love sports. I love arts. This kind of combined both of them. Juggling is a sport and an art. It's right in the gray area there, and it allows total freedom of creativity. You can create any pattern in the air that you can dream of and think of if you can make that happen, and I I really like that. So as a kid, it was all about the juggling, right? And then you start showing people you're juggling. You're so excited. And then you realize very quickly, no one cares about juggling. 
<laughs> like at all. <laughs> they care about being entertained, right? And I say that in jest because it's true. If I juggle three balls and then uh, show my friends when I'm a kid, they say, cool, can you do four? Okay, yeah, I can do four, right? Cool, can you do five? Eventually, you get to a point where you can't do what they are asking you to do. They also have a false perception that the only thing with juggling is like how many you can do, which is, that's, that's kind of an idiotic thing to think, right? That's like, if you watch figure skating, you're not like, how many flips can you do? Like how many spins can you do in the air? You know what I mean? It's an art. There's choreography, there's skill, there's coaching, there's all these competitions. The same thing with juggling. But obviously when you're showing people juggling, they want to get entertained. They want to laugh, right? So then it became about how do I entertain people with my juggling? That means how do I bring people into what I'm doing? How do I get them involved, right? I ask them to come up on stage. Now I banter with them. I learn about them. So now I'm doing comedy. They throw me something. It messes up what I'm doing. People laugh. I remember that. Okay, that was a fun moment. They enjoyed that. That entertained them. I bring up kids. Kids are a little unpredictable. They they're very honest, they're very genuine. So something fun moments happen there. The audience can tell that it's spontaneous. It's in the moment. So you realize that works. So it was juggling first, then it was entertaining, right? It was how do I, how do I craft a show? How do I take people on a ride? How do they get to know me? How do they get to learn about me? How do they get to learn about themselves? How do I touch them? How do I make them think, smile? How do I make them, you know, kind of connect resonate with different different things going on in the world and what might be going on in their own life? How do I make them forget about the troubles they have, right? So that's entertaining. Then my third phase, which I'm in now, is connecting. So it was juggling first, then entertaining. Then I realized I love connecting with people on stage or off. So that gets into a lot of the work I do with my nonprofit. I have a nonprofit that connects entertainers with opportunities to give back perform at children's hospitals. It connects entertainers with each other. You know, that saying that if you do something you love, you'll never feel like you worked a day in your life. It sounds like you found that something early that resonated with you and you turned that into a way to make a living and a very successful living. I think the comedy in action show ran for a good bit of the last decade and it ended in 2019. So where are you now? What are you up to now, Jeff? Sure. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. First off, you know, it's cheesy to say that, you know, if you, you love what to do, you'll never work a day in your life. Obviously, there are challenging circumstances. There are times where you got to, you know, be up till 1am doing an event and I'm getting two hours sleep and then I'm driving two hours to fly to the morning and then for the next event. There are hard times, but I really do believe that I leap out of bed in the morning. I love what I do. And I think I've been able to successfully adapt and change what I do so that I am still loving it. So Comedy Action is just the name of my show. So that's, that's the name of my show that I still perform at performing arts centers, at corporate events, fundraisers, et cetera. So what you're referring to was my Las Vegas residency. So I had a Vegas residency for 10 years that I wrapped December of 2019, which ended up being the best timing ever. I have friends who have shows you know, who said, all right, what did you know that I didn't know? You know, right, right. Uh, December time right I, now. I closed December 18th, 2019. And then obviously, you know, the rest what happened. But so yes, yeah, so I had a show in Vegas for, for 10 years um, at various properties through Caesars Entertainment that I produced myself. But I still do that show at private events, corporate events, performing arts centers. I've just chosen now 
to kind of move on from Vegas. Vegas was fantastic, but again, there's a lot more out there I want to do. And at a certain point, Vegas kind of became limiting because you are producing, again, I'm producing the show myself. So I'm constantly doing, you know, very relevant to this podcast as the entrepreneur. I'm the one selling all the tickets. I'm doing everything. I'm marketing the show. I'm branding the show. I'm selling the tickets. I'm doing Yelp deals, Google ads. I'm doing TripAdvisor, Travel Zoo. I'm producing everything, which a lot of people don't realize that that's how the Mm -hmm. Las Vegas business model works. They think, you know, I've been getting a nice fat check from Caesars Entertainment for the last 10 years. That is not the case. Done well, but it's risk reward. It's my own, you know, marketing and branding and then actually doing the show. So, yeah, we work with a lot of students and many of them come from the arts. And, you know, almost every student that comes from, you know, a, a field in the arts is going to have to learn all these skills. And entrepreneurship is a great add on to that's a that. great point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, people, people talk all the time, like the gatekeepers are gone. And this is a little bit of the entrepreneurial mindset. So you can see that as a, a hindrance, or you could see that as a blessing as an asset. So I obviously see that as an asset. So the gatekeepers are gone, meaning no one has to choose you, no one has to select you and say, I believe you're talented, I'm going to give you time, money, energy, resources and make you a star. Right. That's my friends and I always joke. We're like, where's that guy who's like, I'm going to make you a star, kid, with the cigar and the suspenders. Like, <laughs> right. you know, and when you from the show movies. up with your, yeah, like you show up with your press kid and he slams the door in your face and says, like, you'll never make him in this town, kid. Like, that guy's gone. Right. So that's great news because you are now that guy and you can choose yourself and you can say, I'm going to be successful because I have decided I'm going to be successful. So I can learn basic editing on iMovie and edit a promo tape. I can record a promo video on my phone now. I can ask someone to give me a video testimonial on their phone. I can learn WordPress and create a website, right? Like I can do all these things now and that's great news. And not only is it great news, you have to now. You have to do all that, especially starting off to get to a certain point where you might be able to outsource some of those skills to a true professional. You know, we talk a lot about an entrepreneurial mindset in our education, and it sounds like to me that that's been what you've applied, the whole idea of recognizing opportunities and pursuing them and exploiting them, you know, is exactly what you've done. And that that whole idea of, of being, you know, being persistent, and I'm sure that's been required and perseverance and passion and everything that you think of an entrepreneur, that's the same kind of skill set you've needed, it sounds like, to succeed in what you're doing. Absolutely. And thank you for saying that. Obviously, still always trying and trying to get better and trying to improve and trying to learn new skills and develop new avenues and sales channels and everything else. So I guess what when I look back on college and coming out of college and looking at my peers in more traditional roles... Right, a lot of I went to Georgetown University in Washington D.C. and a lot of a lot of my friends were going into kind of traditional fields, finance, legal. They're going to law school. They're going to going to Wall Street. They're becoming doctors. And for me, I it was almost kind of a game in the beginning. It was like let's see how far I can push this and how how long I can continue to kind of make this up as I go with entertaining and making people laugh and juggling and let's just kind of out 
let's try to outwork and outsmart the competition and let's kind of see if I can continue to reinvent myself and see where this goes. So at the time I was performing on cruise ships in college and I knew that wasn't my end goal. I knew I didn't want to be sitting on a cruise ship for, you know, 45 weeks a year. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I loved performing on cruise ships at the time, but again, I knew I knew it wasn't going to be what I was doing now, but I didn't know exactly where it was all going to go. And that to me was exciting. And that I feel like is the entrepreneurial mindset because you're believing in yourself. You're having confidence. You're aware that your life, your plans, your business is going to grow and change and lead you to fun new places you can't even dream of. But that's exciting. That is the entrepreneurial mindset to me. I love that. You know, Working on the cruise ship as an example, you know, a lot of our students want to be entrepreneurs, but they don't always know where to start. And a lot of times I hear successful entrepreneurs tell them or even say on our show that it's, it's really important to just get out there and do something, get out there and try something. And whatever you're doing, do your best at it knowing that it may not be where you're going to end up. That's all part of your learning process. It sounds like that's the philosophy you applied as well. Action, action, action. Take yeah. action. Say yes, figure it out later. I do that all the time. You I know, love there's that. Like, there's an old showbiz phrase called, I can learn to ride a horse, which is when you know there's an audition for the actor and you have to know how to ride a horse for the audition and the agent calls and says, Hey, you know, I want to submit you for this. Do you know how to ride a horse? It's like, absolutely. And the idea <laughs> is if it books, I can learn to ride a horse. Yep. Right. Yep. Which is true. It's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend the time now to learn to ride a horse, but Hey, if it books, you know, I'm going to have two weeks to learn how to ride a horse. Yeah. I do that all the time. I book events. They say, Hey, do you know much about, you know, IOT? They want you to lead a panel on IOT. Of course I do. You know, Googling internet of things, you know, listening to podcasts, I'm reading articles on Wired, I'm learning. And by the time the event comes, I'm a master of all things IoT. Like you have to take action. You have to just commit and have the confidence to kind of figure it out as you go and know you'll be fine. And that builds confidence along the way as well to go ahead and step in give it a try. You know, even in my career, which has been very different from yours, I've done the same thing. It's a lot of times, you know, even like with this podcast, I'm still learning as I go. It's, you know, and if I had thought, if I thought that I had to know everything about podcasts before I tried it, I never would have done it. So you never would have started, are, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect example. To your point, the best way to build confidence, if you can do something is by doing it, by doing it and having it go successfully, then you know, okay, I can handle this or I can handle the next version of this or the next level of this. So it's so important. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, because we do have a lot of our listeners who are interested in in the arts and you're in the show business in Las Vegas, which is a whole unique world. What kind of business model? What does that look like? What kind of advice would you have for anybody that is sitting out there thinking, you know, Jeff, you've done this, but you know, I'm a little nervous about this. What are some, what's some advice you might leave with somebody? I'm very grateful when I look back now that I've finished my Vegas 10 year run, I'm very grateful for everything that I learned throughout those 10 years. Because when I look back on Vegas and the business model and what happened and how I had to adapt and grow through it, I realized that that whole landscape is kind of a like could be a microcosm for any 
anyone starting a in a business that they're scared about and where they're a very small fish in a big pond. And I think I mentioned this before, but I learned honestly how to outsmart and outwork people. And I was forced to, and this is just being very objective, compared to Cirque du Soleil, Chris Angel, Penn and Teller, et cetera, I had no money, right? So I cannot go head to head with them marketing or producing a show with that kind of money. So great. What does that teach you? It means that you have to go a different way. It means when I look at what my perceived liabilities were actually could be assets if I looked at the business model in a different way. And that's how I talk about outsmarting. I don't really mean necessarily, you know, I'm, I'm smarter than so-and-so. It's like, these are your circumstances. These are the challenges you have. How do you pivot and be very nimble and flip those hardships into assets? Because I believe, again, super cheesy to say, but it's true. Any challenge that is presented to you, there's always an opportunity there. If you think it, think about it from a different angle. And I'm going to reference JV again when he was talking about reading so much. He's saying, I'm reading constantly because when I have an idea, it's pulling up some little bit of information that I read in some article months ago about some other industry, and I'm now mixing it. I'm applying it to this world. That I do that all the time. I will, I am a very curious person by nature, so I'll take something and I'll apply it to, oh, what about doing it this way, like with hospital visits for my nonprofit, or what about marketing this way? So back to Vegas. I knew I wasn't going to be able to do, do that financially go head to head with any of these other shows. So I still had to put butts in seats, right? That's what, you know, the, as the term is like empty seats, don't talk. You need to fill just like heads and beds for, you know, hotels for Vegas. It's butts and seats, right? Like I had to get people paying to see my show every day. And much like the restaurant business, if I had a killer day on Thursday and Friday was a bad day, then guess what? It was a wash. So no matter how good one night is, that could be an outlier, right? That could just be mm -hmm. a fluke. Oh, there was a convention in town or some cheerleading group bought 200 tickets randomly, right? That, you got to think about how can you create sustained revenue in Las Vegas night after night after night, which is raising that bar, that magic number, as it's called, of how many paid, average paid seats you need to turn a profit. So every showroom has a magic number, which is really just what's their number to break even. So you might look at a theater that holds 200 and you might have to see, you know, their magic number is 65. So if 65 people are paying at the average ticket price across all ticket matrices, then that showroom is going to break even. That show is going to be okay. So when you look at the numbers and you see, ooh, they're only getting 20 paid a night and they need 65 paid to break even that's going to be a problem long-term. Mm -hmm. And when you mm -hmm. look at something like the Coliseum or the Zappos Theater, huge venues, five, 7,000 seat venues, their magic number obviously is a lot higher. The stakes are a lot higher. So for me, with my smaller numbers, I knew that magic number and I knew what I had to do to hit that target. So again, instead of trying to go at it with money, I went the complete opposite approach. And I was very, very lean. I was as lean as possible. I had no opening act. I had no dancers. I had no nothing. I sold my own merchandise. I ran my own sound in the beginning with an iPod Velcro to my belt. I bought a spotlight off Craigslist that I turned on myself 
the whole idea was a one-man show. So I sold you the tickets. I did everything, right? And then I packed it all up and did it again. So I was working you know, around the clock, but it was a true one-man show. Then beyond that, I'm the guy on the advertisements. I'm the guy on the rack card. So when you have Cirque du Soleil, you know, phenomenal shows, phenomenal organization, but no one knows who those people are. It's kind of like the Disney model, right? The aerialist gets hurt. They throw in another aerialist the mm-hmm. next day. They're not losing any revenue, right? But because of that, they're not able to have that aerialist go around to ticket brokers and get recognized and have create a shared experience with that ticket broker because they're in costume, they're hidden, right? And the big boys, the big girls, they're not going to do that. Celine Dion's not going to go around to ticket brokers and say, hey, thanks for selling my show, everybody, and take selfies with everybody, right? But I could, and I did. So I did hardcore guerrilla marketing for years on the strip. And I would take the elevator to the lobby, and I would walk out in the lobby, and I would market every day to all those ticket brokers on the strip. I would give them Jolly Ranchers, Tootsie Rolls. I would do tricks in their call center, in their office. I would take selfies with them. And they got to know me and they got to like me. So they wanted to sell my show. So I would get two tickets from this person, four tickets from this person, two tickets from this person, all over the strip at these hundreds of ticket booths and brokers. And that would add up to you know a couple hundred people paying every night. So when you think about, again, hardships and assets, the hardship is I don't have the money to spend on airport billboards and to buy magazine covers. But the asset it taught me is that you can't buy seats, right? right? You, right. Relationships are key. Relationships are everything. So I was able to not spend hardly any money. I didn't gross that much money because it was a low dollar show because I'm a family friendly, like all ages act. And often it was in the afternoon for the first several years, right? So I had a very low price point but I was able to net so much more than my competitors because they were spending 10, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 a week on marketing. Right. And I was have... spending zero. Yeah. Like you didn't literally have the I had, yeah. I had zero overhead and I had, I had zero marketing. Like, and then I would say to my friends, I would say, you know what I want you to do? Just test this, cut all your marketing, cut everything for one month but I want you to go spend as all the hours that you were doing setting up, you know, funnels and Yelp deals and Google ads and Facebook ads and tracking all that. I want you to forget all that. And I want you to do 10 charity events and I want you to be on the morning show, you know, two mornings a week. And I want you to do a call free show at every call center. I want you to walk the strip and give out, take selfies with performers and say, thank you and give them cheap stuff, you know, Tootsie Rolls, Jolly Ranchers, balloons, you know, give them a card, a handwritten thank you notes. Like it's not the money that matter. It was, it was the sense of feeling appreciated and actually knowing that person on the rack card. If you're a ticket broker in Las Vegas, there's a good chance you go to UNLV and you do this, this is your, like your part-time job and you're worried about your, you know, your prom or your, you know, your sports meet or your test coming up, right? But, and if you, a family of four walks up and they say, Hey, we're from Omaha. Like, what should we see? Which happens all the time, not just from Omaha, but from everywhere, right? They say like, what should we see? Guess what? If that person on the other end of that knows me and likes me and has seen my show and believes in me, 
they'll say, well, you know what? I'm sure you're going to see, you know, Chris Angel and Penn and Teller, and, and they're fantastic. But let me tell you about this guy, Jeff Sabilico. He's kind of like a hidden gem. You know, everybody loves him. He's real likable. His price point, you know, you're not going to have to mortgage your house to, to go to the show. It's going to be, and your kids are going to love it. He spends time with everybody afterwards. He'll probably teach you how to juggle. And just trust me, he's, he's a great guy and a great performer. That's what sold tickets for me. Yeah. So, I, I love that. Yeah. You know, so many times the stories that I hear, and even in my own experiences, it's the obstacles or the problems that you mentioned that generate the most creative solutions. And like you found out, sometimes the bigger players don't have the flexibility, the adaptability to do what somebody, you know, especially a startup or early stage entrepreneur can do. So, and I had no idea, I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but everything you talked about is, you know, figuring out the levers, like what is it that matters? In your case, it's filling up the seats. So how do you do that? And how do you do it at a price point that you can afford? So it's, it's all business. I mean, of course, they call it show business, but <laughs> it's yeah. very similar to most any other business. I mean, think about all the people in restaurants right now, you know, trying to deal with how they continue mm-hmm. to keep going forward. Of course, they're, you know, selling, but selling, you know, carry out. But in general, with the restaurant, a lot of it is about how many tables you can have. If right. you don't have yeah. enough space and enough tables, it's very hard to succeed in a restaurant. Yeah. And, you know, let me just throw this out there, too. A lot of entertainment specifically, and I'm sure it applies to any other industries, is about not being victim to the ego plays. Because with entertainment, when you are the widget, I always, this is one of my things I talk about a lot with people who ask, ask for advice or ask for, you know, help with something. I say, like, you got to remember with entertainment, you are the widget. You don't sell widgets. You are the widget. That changes everything. That changes it, good and bad, right? It just it, It's just a different play. And so when you are the widget, you have the ability to create experiences because the product can come to people directly. But it also means it's harder to scale, of course. I can't be in physically right. more than one place at once. So how do you then diversify those revenue streams? How do you create coaching products? How do you create virtual events? Like I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. How do you spin off your main skill set into all these different arenas and different products and services that you can monetize? So right. with ego, I would see it all the time, these performers on the strip, and they I'm looking at these billboards and these, you know, huge airport ads and all this. That didn't sell tickets. Because nobody knows who that guy is or that girl. So here's the difference. If you were to literally just put up a billboard and it said Backstreet Boys, then it had the, the name of the casino, that will sell. Because when you see Backstreet Boys, your mind creates all the advertisement. It fills it in. Boy band, dancing, you remember the songs, the brand. Right, and it's an immediately recognizable A-list brand, right? So again, ego. I know that if I had a billboard that says Jeff Savilico, no one knows what that means or who that is. And that's fine. I know that I can deliver an awesome show if I can get them there. So I'm not going to be able to convince people to come to my show in a billboard or in a magazine ad, right? It just doesn't work for me. So I would see all these hypnotists and magicians and comedians, and no one knows who they are but their name would be plastered everywhere with their headshots and their faces. And I'm like, I know how much that costs. Like even with a deal, 
You know, you're paying like 10 grand a week for that you know, at the airport or something. I'm like, that's so stupid. It's just an ego play because they want to drive by and they want to show, you know, girls and whatever. I got, I got 10 billboards across town. <laughs> cool. I can, any, you can get 10 billboards. Just pay Clear Channel, pay Lamar. They don't care. It's, ad, it's ads. Like, you don't need to pass some talent threshold to get a billboard. Like, that's why you see when people say, happy birthday, mom, you know, because they bought a billboard. It right. doesn't mean anything. Right. So what does mean something is them experiencing your show. That's why I would perform at charity events all the time, at hospitals, at, you know, for schools, for administrators, I, at call centers, because people would say like, oh, that guy was fun. I had a great time. I liked, I want to see more. That's real advertising for an entertainer when you are the widget. So I always, I always talk about this, like, you know, people, especially in the beginning, they're, they, they don't want to, they're like, oh, they don't want to devalue their brand because of X, Y, Z by doing like a free show or discount show. And I just want to say like, bro, you have no brand. Like nobody knows who you are. Like that's a risk you have to take. Do every free show possible. I did free shows for years and years. I still do free shows. I'm doing a free show and workshop for healthcare workers in Las Vegas, right? It's the nice, right thing to do, of course. And I'm happy to do that. My friend's a nurse was like, let's do a thing for nurses. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Let's do it. I'm in. It's free, right? But of course, that's going to spur into, yeah, it's, it's going to spin off. Well, it's a great model. You know, some friends of mine started Barefoot Wine and they're actually, oh, yeah. they've been on the podcast. And awesome. if you listen, they tell a similar story about a time when they were running into some licensing and selling, you know, they had some issues with being able to sell their product. So they started doing charity events to get people to experience the product yep. so that when they were able to sell it, people would know it. So it does yeah. apply in, in a lot of different contexts. And so, yeah, yeah. I just, I don't think that that's just no longer an excuse anymore. Like, and I'm talking about from entertainment, right? Like when I got to Vegas, I started doing free shows at hospitals and schools, like inner city schools that needed them and nursing homes. I would go to shows at the USO air force bases because I had nothing going on. I wanted to get my name out there and, and practice and meet people. So I just, the barrier of entry, it's so easy now like with the internet to just find, like I can just Google, I can Google anything and find and, and pitch them and say, hey, I want to come do a free show for you. Like who's going to say no to that? It's a great anyway. equalizer. And you know, right now we're all kind of homebound with this COVID-19 pandemic. And it's amazing what people are able to accomplish and, and technology and the mindset that you're talking about. It's a great equalizer. Let me ask you, Jeff, one of the characteristics of entrepreneurship that we often talk about is resilience and, you know, somebody yeah. who sees opportunities and, and pursues them, but maybe runs into failure and maybe even some loss along the way. And, but understands that that's part, you know, failure is part of the success journey. Have you ever had to deal with that? And you sound like a pretty resilient guy. Do you have any, any words to share about, about that? Absolutely. No, I'm a very positive guy by nature, but I think that's because I choose to see the positive side of any situation. Of course, I have my moments. I feel like I just get over them faster than others. And I do think, I do think that's a muscle. That's a skill you can develop. I think you're entitled, you know, you have a bad day, like, you know, think a bunch of things bad, you know, I think you're okay to be in a, in a funk. Like, man, today was brutal. But you know what? You wake up tomorrow morning, it's in the past. It's over. Like fresh start, clean start. Because when you start 
you know, kind of lulling yourself into, you know, these downward spirals and, and being complacent, then it's going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And momentum is, momentum is a beautiful thing, but it works in both directions, right? So you can have great momentum and great energy and feel amazing and everything's coming your way. And then you know how it happens to all of us. It's like you stub your toe. And then of course you get the email saying the client failed. And then of course, you know, the, you know, you've spilled a ketchup on your shirt and like, you kind of just make everything better and all the little things and, and the big things. So I do think it's important to harness the power of momentum and get over your failures and your setbacks as quickly as possible because dwelling on them simply does not serve you. So when I look back at failures, I mean, or struggles, the Vegas show was brutal for me. So I lost a lot of money for many years. So when I say I had a show in Vegas for 10 years, I would say the first two, three years, I was bleeding money. The next two or three years, I was breaking even. And the next two or three years, I was actually making money, which people are shocked to hear about that. I was leveraging the Vegas brand to make great money in other ways and other avenues. And again, that's that flexibility and adapting to say, okay, I might be breaking even here or making a couple bucks, losing a couple bucks, depending on the season, the ticket count, et cetera. But I'm able to leverage that to host AT&T's global conference. I'm able to leverage that to go perform at the Covey Performing Arts Center in Utah. And it's now it's direct from Las Vegas with awards for having won in Las Vegas. Now my stock is much higher when I do a private event or a corporate event. So when you talk about setbacks, I mean, the first several years were absolutely brutal. And I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot about what I could handle and resilience. I did everything you're not supposed to do. I would borrow money from family, from friends. I maxed out credit cards. I got loans with stupid interest rates. Like I was robbing Peter to pay Paul. You know, I'd look at the, you know, Kiwasaki stuff, like pay yourself first. I'm like, all right, dude, come on. Like, I don't know. That's sure. Like, but when you have a staff in Vegas running a show and it's not like, and you're losing thousands of dollars a week, like there is no pay yourself first. Like it's do whatever you can to survive. So I would do, I would do a show and I would, make a good chunk of money and I would pour it right back into the Vegas show, right back into the Vegas show. All the marketing it was like a black hole of marketing until I figured out this idea of relationships and I was able to cut down on my overhead strategically and ramp up the marketing that was quote unquote free. It still took my time and time of course is money, but it did not take my out of pocket expenses buying ads and such. So to answer your question, years in Las Vegas, for sure. Television wise, I created a concept for a show that was going to be like an entertainment lifestyle news show that you can still see clips of online. We made it all the way to Amazon. We got picked up. It was on Amazon Prime and it was a fully self-contained show, an entertainment lifestyle show about Las Vegas, what was going on, shows, tours, restaurants, celebrities, etc. The guy who was my partner on that is in jail right now, like oh. actually in jail for 10 years for fraud. So you can, that didn't go well, right? Yeah. So I lost a lot of money. I've since gotten all the relationships back, but I damaged relationships. I didn't know about this guy like I should have. And that was a lesson learned, but that was really hard because I was already not making money in Las Vegas. And then 
I got in bed business-wise with some bad dudes who then put me further in the hole, who I had given money to, and they capitalized on my my desire to make it, my desire to have my own television show, my desire to, to produce a show. And we had interviewed Mike Tyson, Dennis Rodman, Olivia Newton-John, real celebrities were on the show. We were really getting a good following. And again, some con artists were able to capitalize on that and took advantage of me, frankly. And I'm very glad that it happened now looking back on it because I learned so much about that. I learned about how to do due diligence, about how and when to partner with folks. I learned a lot about control. I never felt good because I wasn't in control of of things. And I'm not a control freak, but again, I'm the widget. I was the host personality. This was really my show without it kind of being my show. And that made me nervous. And I had kind of some doubts and some bad feelings that I didn't trust my gut. And lesson learned, right? He's in yeah, jail well, now. So well, it was your well, so, it's your brand, right? It's your brand out there. And but what a great, yeah. what a great series of lessons. And you know, I appreciate you sharing so honestly about that because I think that's how you know that's how we all learn. We the more we can learn from other people and their mistakes, the fewer mistakes maybe we have to make. But I think it's you know, like you pointed out, you learned a lot from that experience. You mentioned your charity, Win Win, I think it's called. Can you tell us just a little about it and how it got started? I would love to. Win Win is my baby. Win Win is everything to me. So it's a 501c3 national nonprofit based in Las Vegas. We uplift children. We bring joy and smiles to children in really tough situations, mostly in children's hospitals. We also work with some foster homes and some special needs facilities by connecting them with professional entertainers, athletes, and celebrities. So first show I ever did outside of my kitchen growing up was a charity show. It was for a special needs school when I was 14 years old in high school. And that's when Win Win Entertainment was born. So when you were um, 14, you started this? So the actual charity I started 10 years ago. So in 2009 is actually when we started and we, we got our 501c3 a little after that. But I started doing my first show happened to be a charity show. That's how I started performing publicly. So that's when I started doing charity shows. So I fell in love with doing charity shows when I was 14. I performed at nursing homes, children's hospitals, et cetera, all through high school, all through college, all through when I lived in Orlando. And then when I moved to Vegas, that's when I formed it into an official 501c3 with a board of directors and, and everything else. But I've always been charity minded in terms of performing. I've always thought it was just a great, a great way to give back and a great way to build your experience and to meet people and connect. So win win, which is, you know, where where the name comes from. It's a win for the charities and it's a win for the performers. I love it. I love it. That's great. Well Jeff, you this has been delightful. I have loved this conversation and really learned a lot and enjoyed it. I could talk a lot longer, but I know that you've got a lot to do. To You're doing some virtual things now, I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing virtual shows and virtual team building workshops for companies. I'm also hosting virtual events and conferences now, believe it or not. So in this new this new normal. So and also with Win Win, now all of our visits are virtual. So Although it's much easier for the performers to get involved, it's actually quite a bit of work on our end to set up all the the meetings and make sure the logistics, every hospital has, of course, different privacy and security regulation that we have to, to consider, take into account, of course. But I'm really trying to grow 
both the hospitals, because anyone now, any hospital can, can get involved if they sign up on our website. And I want to attract new talent. I want to attract new win-win talent because now we have this really broad way of reaching people through these virtual visits. So I want to capitalize on that so I can build our talent pool so that when we do resume in-person visits, hopefully many of those performers will also begin doing in-person visits as well. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you for doing that. I know you're bringing a lot of joy to people that really could use it right now. So I always like to ask the guests on InFactor, before we leave, if you had one piece of advice to someone just starting out, what would it be? The old advice question. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'm in a position to be given advice, but I'll try here. I would say, I mentioned it before, so I'll kind of reiterate and expand upon the point of choosing yourself. I think that is so important, especially for entertainers, artists, freelancers, because there's this false sense, I think, today that you have to be chosen. American Idol, America's Got Talent, Drake seeing a YouTube video of yours or you know something like that. There needs to be this needle in a haystack moment where someone or something like picks you out of the pool of the masses and says like, you know, you, you're going to be, you're going to be all right. You're going to make it. You can, you can perform for a living. You can be a musician for a living. You can be a singer, a dancer, juggler, comedian, magician, whatever it is. And that is not the case. I hate that idea. And I, a lot, you know, honestly, I hate what American Idol and what America's Got Talent and all those kind of contest shows have done to our youth. I have a great, great story that I like telling. I'm on the advisory board for Las Vegas Academy of the Arts in high school, phenomenal yeah, arts high school in Las Vegas. And I do a lot of shows and events there. And I was doing a show there a couple years back and I always do a Q&A afterwards. And Again, it's direct from the Las Vegas Strip. So he's got his own show on the Las Vegas Strip. You know, so it does do the show. And I talked to him about that and about show business and the importance of both the show and the business and you know, steps they can be doing now, steps they can be taking after high school, et cetera. And this one girl asked me, she said, who discovered you? And I was completely dumbfounded because I genuinely did not understand what she meant. And I was like, wait, like, what do you mean? Like I discovered me like what? And it just revealed when you unpack that, I continued to talk to her. She genuinely thought that someone had discovered me and that's how I like became who I am. And I hate hearing that. It's so toxic that I kind of got on my high horse and started preaching at them because I was like, no one discovered me. Like I discovered me. I decided that I was going to be a very successful entertainer and I worked really hard. I did a lot of shows, a lot of shows, like 10,000 shows, you know, time 10, right? Like I did, you know, I've done thousands and thousands and thousands of free shows, crappy shows, Shows with no sound system, shows where I'm driving four hours and performing in a days in banquet room with no lights or sound, right? I did shows for tot lots and schools and charities, whatever, right? So I think that's so important to leave that you don't need anyone to choose you, especially in the arts and performing arts and talent driven. The talent contest is TV, it's not real. 
it's all it's storyboards, it's views, it's impressions, it's advertising dollars. Like I'm not hating on that. Sure, if you win America's Got Talent and you get your own Vegas show, good for you. But I got my own Vegas show and I didn't win America's Got Talent. I've never been on America's Got Talent. I've never auditioned. So that's not the only way. I love that. Choose yourself. That's a great, great thing to leave Choose everybody yourself. with. I love it. You might as well, right? Because you're the only one who's not going to fire you. That's right? right. You're the only one who's not going to choose someone else. I mean, and that, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful I'm self-employed right now because I'm not going to fire myself. I have, <laughs> I have a company of one. I have a lot of subcontractors, a lot of vendors I work with, a lot of, a lot of people I pay to help me with my business. But I am a company of one, and there is no way I'm furloughing myself during coronavirus. I will not let it happen. <laughs> exactly. That's the entrepreneurial way, I think. Well, so Jeff, where can our listeners connect with you? So hopefully it won't be too hard to find me online. If it is, then I'm not doing something right. But quick Google of my name, any spelling, any incorrect spelling <laughs> should get you to jeffsavillico.com, which is, of course, my, my flagship website. You can also learn more about my nonprofit at winwinentertainment.org. I'm on every social channel you know, at Jeff Savilico, so you can connect with me there as well. I'm big on LinkedIn in terms of engagement and interacting with folks. So if you write me on LinkedIn, I will write you back and we can connect that way. And I post usually every day on LinkedIn and I like to be a part of the LinkedIn ecosystem and conversation that's always developing. A lot of great information on there and a lot of great, a lot of great opportunities on LinkedIn have come my way through that platform. Jeff, thank you for joining us today and thank you for all that you're doing, especially out there with Win-Win and good luck to you with all of your, all of your efforts. Thank you very much. This was an absolute delight, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. 